Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Someone asked me not too long ago, what is the thing you say when Deacon stands up and you pray over him right before he goes to read the gospel? There's like a set prayer that you're supposed to pray as the priest over the deacon before he prays the gospel. Tonight, I just said, good luck. (laughs) You did pretty good. None of you know if that was right or wrong. (laughs) Well, friends, it's so good to be with you tonight. Merry Christmas. And just want to say a word of welcome to anyone who's visiting with us tonight from other parishes or other cities, states, anybody who's, uh, who's coming to visit us, it's really good to have you. As Deacon always says when he preaches, you're welcome to be with our family anytime and come and come often. So it's so good to be together. Friends, on this Christmas Eve, I believe that God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to speak a word into our hearts to move our minds, to move our hearts. He wants to communicate something beautiful to us tonight. It's an invitation into the depths is where we're going tonight. See, what's on display for us when we contemplate Christmas, what's on display in these mysteries and these readings and the prayers and this liturgy, what's on display is the interpretive key, if you will, for understanding everything about our faith. If you get Christmas wrong, you get everything wrong. If you get Christmas right, everything else begins to click into place. Tonight on display is the interpretive lens, the key, which is the incarnation It's a big fancy word. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, God the second person of the Trinity coming down, robing himself in our human flesh and frailty, becoming one of us. Tonight when we pray the creed, we're invited by the church, typically every Sunday when we pray the creed, we're invited by the church to bow our heads at those words, by the power of the Spirit, he became flesh. But tonight when we say those words, the church invites us to genuflect. Because that's what we're focusing on tonight, is the fact, this unbelievable fact that God became flesh. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. If it is true, if that is true, that the God who hung the stars in the sky actually became flesh like you and me, that he sweat and bled and got tired and hungry, if that's true, it is by many degrees of magnitude the most important thing that has ever happened. And it is the interpretive lens for understanding all of history. It's the truth. It's the most important truth. And what is the truth in that that we're meant to soak in tonight? It's this, in a word. It's a love story. It's a love story. I know some of you right now are like, that's, that's, I didn't think we were going there. Yeah, that's where we're going tonight. This is a love story. I know it's easy to miss, especially because of our readings, but if you're paying attention to the readings, yes, even the gospel that we just heard, all of those names, all of it, it's telling this love story. That gospel, I think that's the final exam before you get ordained, right? You have to make sure you can get that gospel right. You you passed, man, you passed. Zerubbabel, Abiud, Abijah, Aminadab. There's not a lot of Aminadabs walking around today, you know? So just, if anybody here is pregnant, I just think if you're struggling for a name, I think like Zerubbabel Jones, you know, Aminadab Smith, I think that'd be pretty great, just saying. Okay, but seriously, this gospel, even this gospel, 
it is telling this love story. It is, it is unfolding for us this incredible message. How so? This is the genealogy of Jesus. It's the long history of love and relationships. That's what it is. It's a long history of love and relationships, of marriages and spousal union, the beginning of children. Sure, some of those beginnings, some of those relationships were less than savory, a little bit uh, less than ideal. You have David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. That's like biblical Jerry Springer stuff right there. You're like, whoa, had been the wife of Uriah, right? We got to brush up on our biblical literacy, I see. Okay. But the key point is this, the key point is this, that in that genealogy, it's all unfolding for us. It's only possible because of the mystery of our masculinity and femininity, our complementarity as men and women, the fact that God has created us in such a way that we are capable of participating in life-giving union. Like that's what the genealogy is. It's the unfolding, this, the story of all of these unions, these life-giving unions, all of these generations that led to Jesus, it all points to and participates in this mystery of spousal love, our complementarity as men and women. It's not just the gospel. Look at the first reading that we had for tonight from the prophet Isaiah. We hear this, the Lord speaking through Isaiah, talking to Israel, you shall be a glorious crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem held by your God. No more shall people call you forsaken or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight and your land espoused. Listen to this. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. Friends, like what is Isaiah talking about? What, like why would the church invite us to reflect on these readings on this night of all nights? Because in a word, Christianity is God's marriage proposal to you. That's what it is. It's not a system of behavior modification so that you and I could be good boys and good girls and maybe one day when we die, we get to go to heaven. Christianity is something far more outstanding, far more indescribably beautiful. It's the highest of romances. It's heaven coming to earth. Your builder shall marry you. Because everything that Isaiah is talking about, it's like everything that he's talking about, he could only dream about, and it actually came into being. Like all of this talk about marriage, all this talk about unions and spousal love, begetting and being begotten, so-and-so became the father and so-and-so, all of this, because Christmas, what we're celebrating tonight, is the wedding, if you will, the wedding of heaven and earth. The wedding of heaven and earth, because our story is a love story that stretches all the way back to the beginning of time and will stretch all the way forward to the end and the consummation of the age. This story is a love story. Have you ever paused to ask yourself, how close do you actually want to be to me, O oh Lord? What kind of relationship are you interested in? Do you merely want to be like my coach, buddies, fist bump with Jesus? Like, you don't do that for mere friendship. He wants so much more. He wants everything. This 
connection between love and Christmas. Like our culture knows it. Our culture picks up on this. Like whatever the church suppresses or whatever the church fails to actually preach on, it gets manifested in the culture some other way. And you see this, this whole connection between Christmas and love and romance. This, is a, this has become a season, if you will, of romance. I railed on this last year, my Christmas homily, but it's the mystery of all mysteries to me. The, 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 the reality of the Hallmark Christmas movie thing, okay? The fact that Hallmark has released 40 new Christmas movies again this year? How could there be more plot? There's not more plot. It's all the same movie. With all the same actors, right? The same guy who was the lawyer in the one movie is the Christmas tree farmer in the next movie. And, like, the girl from Full House is in all of the movies, right? Like, that's just... It's this, it's this season of romance. And, like, it's not just in the movies. It's in, it's in the music. It's in the music. It's on the airwaves. If you had to guess, what is the number one most downloaded Christmas song in 2002... It's also the same one in 2001 and 2020 and 2019. It's Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Is, who is thinking that? All I Want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. That is the, that is the number. We got to do a better job. We got to download some other songs. But like that's the number one downloaded Christmas song. Number two, do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> not, as a, not as pertinent to my homily, but just focus on number one. Mariah Carey's song. What is this song? What is this song? It's a love song. Like the number one Christmas song is a love song. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I know you're singing it in your head right now. You want me to sing it? I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. Sing it with me. All I want for Christmas is you. Binging the bells, ring the bells, right? Okay. We have to unpack this. Like, what is our secular culture intuiting? There's a connection between Christmas and romance. There's a connection here. They're not just drumming up emotions. They're tapping into something real. All right, let me draw out some of these connections for us. I want to connect some dots. Jesus, in his very person, is the wedding of heaven and earth. We say in our creed, he is true God and true man. Not part God, part man. True God and true man. In his very person, he unites heaven and earth. His very first miracle, as he begins his public ministry, he comes to Cana, where there's a wedding feast. And what does he do at the wedding feast, this God in the flesh? He makes 180 gallons of the choicest wine. It was the bridegroom's job in the ancient world, in ancient Israel, to provide the wine for the wedding feast. He didn't have a lot of jobs. He just had to make sure there was enough booze for the wedding. It's kind of still the same today. So, his first miracle, wedding feast at Cana. All throughout the, all throughout the Gospels, he's identifying himself as the bridegroom. His apostles are identifying themselves as the friends of the bridegroom. In other words, like the bridal party. And at the end of his life, he's on the cross, and his final breath, with his final breath, he cries out, consumatum est. It is consummated. Which begs the question, what is consummated? The marriage of heaven and earth. Because that day, Good Friday, 
which is prefigured in the manger, right? The manger is only the seed that flowers into the cross. That day that we call Good Friday, Jesus goes to the cross as a willing victim to pour his life out, to lay his life down for the sake of who? The bride. Like that who is, that is, that's who was born this night. A bridegroom, the bridegroom God. That's who he is. And friends, God created our humanity, masculinity, femininity, marriage, all of that, from the beginning to be the sign that revealed who he is and how he wants to relate to us. It's like he's been stammering all throughout, of, all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament. He's saying, I want a relationship with you that is something like a marriage. He's already done it. He's already given everything. Every drop of blood he could give, he gave. The bridegroom came and the bridegroom poured himself out. The only question for the bride is will we reciprocate? Will we open to receive? And he knows, friends, Jesus in his kindness, he knows that maybe this kind of imagery, this, yeah, this kind of imagery, maybe it scares us a bit. This idea that he wants to be that intimate, it's like, oh, that seems like a lot. But it's true. It's true. He left the throne room of heaven, emptying himself of every divine prerogative to take to himself our human nature, not so that he could tell us, like, shape up, try harder. No, he came and became flesh. He came to be one of us, among us. He put himself within our grasp so that we could be united to him, so that we could be united to him. And friends, this, is right, this right here is where it gets very personal for you and me because the God that we're talking about, this marriage of heaven and earth, who robed himself in human flesh and frailty, putting himself within our grasp, he still comes to us. He's coming to us tonight. Like in the Eucharist that we're going to receive in just a few moments, we're not receiving a mere symbol of God. If that were true, to heck with it all. Go home now. I want a new job if it's just a symbol. But if it's him, if it's still the God who hides himself in fragile in unassuming things, like he did 2,000 years ago, lying in a manger, who would have ever thought that that's where God could be? And right now, all the people driving past our church, who would ever think that God himself would hide himself in bread to come down upon our altar? Because he's looking for the manger of your heart. He's coming to us tonight. Friends, I don't know what this past year has been like for you. I don't know what struggles you've been through or shame you carry, or frustrations that you're bringing in your heart here tonight, but I do know this, that the God who preferred the humble lodgings of a stable, filled with all sorts of domesticated aromas, that God isn't scandalized by your heart. He's not scandalized at all. He knows everything that's in there. And he says, I, I would like to come in. That's where I'd like to be this Christmas. You are where Christmas is meant to happen. And if it doesn't happen in you, then you've missed it. Friends, he's always looking for a stable. 
May it be you and me tonight. Amen.